You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center here in the heart of Silicon Beach. Welcome to our show, our 101st. Please be seated. Uh, We have a great show. Today is going to be all about the state of cybersecurity. And we're going to start off with Mr. Cybersecurity himself, Stan Stahl. And then the second half, we're going to see whether uh, one of the the least um, liked professions in America may actually be the salvation to solving some of these cybersecurity um, issues. And so we're going to have an insurance perspective on cybersecurity in the second half. So um, without further ado, we're going to bring on Stan Stahl. Stan is with, um, he's the president of Citadel um, Information Systems, and he's the head of ISALA, which just had an excellent, uh, its fifth um, security summit, including keynote speaker, um, former Google CEO, Eric Schmidt. And um, Stan, are you with us? I am, and congratulations on your 101st show, Bennett. Thank you. It's fitting. You you, you live off the 101, so um, <laughs> what, what, what better show to have you on? But um, no, and thank you for your support of the show over the years. Um, Stan, hats off. You had a great, um, great turnout for the um, Security Summit. Um, great headline names, and um, it seemed that a lot of people are the interest in cybersecurity just seems to be growing. Well, thanks, thanks for the compliment, Bennett. Uh, we were really, we, we, we were very pleased with uh, with the summit this year. Uh, we had nearly 800 people attend. Uh, this is for a regional summit in the Los Angeles area. I believe it's the largest information security event of its kind. Obviously, we don't compete with Black Hat and RSA and those kinds of places, but for a regional conference to have nearly 800 people, I just was um, blown away uh, by that. And as as you said, part of it was very definitely the kinds of speakers we had this year. I mean, Howard Schmidt, our uh, opening keynote, was the uh, former cybersecurity coordinator at the White House. 
special assistant to the president. He was one of our speakers, uh, and we had three specific venues this year, unlike previous years as well. Uh, obviously, the security summit for uh, the information security professional, the IT professional. We also had a special session on healthcare because their new HIPAA high-tech security regulations that come into effect in September. So we had uh, a whole uh, half day on, on, on that subject. And then we had our executive forum as well, which again is one of those things I think that ISSALA does very, very uniquely, uh, that we had well over 100 people, C-suite, trusted advisor types uh, also uh, having the opportunity to learn more about cybersecurity, cybercrime, what businesses and organizations need to do to stay protected in this uh, crazy environment we're in. Now, um, you know, what were some of the highlights to you uh, of the show in terms of uh, you know, the things you heard said that just really kind of resonated that um, the attendees told you resonated with them? Yeah, good question. And when I sort of step back from all the things I heard, part of what really comes to mind, and I think Matt's going to talk about this in your second half as well, the game shifted, if you will, in some ways, very much up to the board level. And with the shift to the board level comes the whole subject of, of now how does one mitigate the risk of cybersecurity through other actions besides simply protection of oneself. Uh, and I'm speaking specifically of, of, secure, of, of insurance, uh, cybercrime, cyber liability insurance. Uh, Howard Schmidt mentioned that in his opening remarks. Um, and that was in the co context of, of, I think, two different things. First, that uh, companies that do a good job of protecting themselves can realize lower prices on cybercrime, cyber insurance, uh, policies. That's one half of it. The other half of it is Howard is quick to point out one of the myths in, in cybersecurity, and we see it all the time, Citadel Information Group, our, our company, when we're out talking to small and medium-sized businesses. There's this overall sense that oh, it can't happen to me, that this is cybercrime is something that affects the big guys. Well, the statistics show, this is part of what Howard talked about, that 70% uh, of, of, of organizations, small and medium-sized businesses, believe themselves to be safe and protected against cybercrime. Yet 20% to 30% of all cybercrime hits businesses, hits organizations with fewer than 250 people. These are the small and medium-sized businesses. That results in 60% of those victims being out of business within six months. So you're looking at, on the one side, insurance being a good thing to uh, help lay off, if you will, the risk of cybercrime. Uh, and yet small and medium-sized businesses who ought to be looking at that as, a, as, as, as one of the, the, the ways to, to manage that risk uh, don't even realize yet that they have that risk. I think when you take that, you add to it. I'm going to give a couple of more highlights, if, if you will, if you let me keep talking for a moment. Michael Gold in the executive forum talked about what he sees as a coming wave of plaintiff lawsuits against publicly traded companies whose boards fail to properly uh, 
protect the company against cybercrime. This, this is a board issue, not just a, uh, a, a an, issue, an issue, if you will, for the IT people, the security people. Uh, so that's a, a second highlight. The third highlight, which I think ties it all together, as you know, the Securities and Exchange Commission requires of publicly traded companies that uh, if they have a security event, the theft of intellectual property, for example, they have to disclose that as a material event uh, in their 10K, 10Qs. Our last speaker, uh, who does a lot of investigations after the fact, spoke specifically of companies that he's been involved with where they have made the choice not to disclose to their shareholders that they have has suffered a breach, a loss of intellectual property. I think you kind of connect the dots between those three things, and you may be looking at what will continue to push businesses and other organizations into the requirement that they spend more, invest more, protect more of their intellectual property, their own information, and of course the information they have belonging to other people, like at, like at the healthcare piece of, of our summit. You know, I, I, when I heard the opening um, panel, and the, the statistics that you just recited um, in terms of um, companies going out of business within six months of having a cyber attack, um, it, it just—it was very. I think that you know, it resonated and it framed it the importance of this issue very quickly, and um, so I, I just you know I thought that that was really effective. Now it, it seems that when we listen to the, the news here, um, you know it's it's kind of like being a Cub fan and. September, um, it just everything just seems bleaker and bleaker. Um, so just this month alone, there have been reports that China has access um, and got, got hacked into um, plans for major defense systems, you know, air, air um, helicopters and other types of defense systems. Um, they've also accessed the you know, Army Corps of Engineers and had not been able to um, see the plans for all our major dams. Um, Iran has been penetrating our um, energy um, systems, and uh, all of which, if, if you know, could have catastrophic consequences. And it just seems that each time it just gets worse and worse. And um, as a, as a someone in the field, um, you know, what is your sense? Is is, um, is is there alarm bells going off, or is this just? Um, maybe the cost, you know, the effect of some of these attacks or hacks aren't as significant as we think. Yeah, it's a good question because I think we're really at one of those places in in, in history where things are going to split into two different directions very, very, you know, noticeably here. Um, just in the in the last week, for example, in addition to the national security things that you've talked about. Uh, Brian, in his Krebs on Security blog, uh, wrote about a North Carolina fuel distributor who is hit by a uh, $800,000 in online bank fraud. Um, yes, I love that. And, yeah, and one of the things that people don't understand, too few businesses understand about online bank fraud, is that um, the bank regulations are very, very different between a fraud against an individual account holder, such as you or me, and the fraud against a business account holder, such as, for example, my company, Citadel Information Group, or the ISSA, or this North Carolina fuel distributor, if you or I 
are victims of online bank fraud and we notify our bank in a timely way, we get our money back. If a business is the victim of online bank fraud, the regulation shift. I mean, there's, if, if, if it's uh, just an online transaction, they can get their money back if they do it, if, if they tell the bank quickly enough. If it's a wire transfer, once the money's gone, the money is gone. In both cases, businesses are at, at risk there, and they're at risk in ways that oftentimes we find they don't know that they're at risk. That's one of the things Matt can speak to in the second half of the show, because there's cybercrime insurance that, that negates that risk. So I think that's one side of it, is more and more companies come to understand the risks they're under, that this is not just big, you know, it's not just nation-state versus nation-state, but it's cybercriminal versus businesses, small and medium-sized businesses throughout throughout America. The other side of it reflects, I think, uh, something that I, I was asked during the executive forum. Our, we had a panel at the forum of uh, Bill Lewis, who, who runs the FBI office in Los Angeles, uh, was at, at, on that forum. I was on that panel. Uh, James Aquilina of a company, Stroh's Friedberg, also on that panel. They do a lot of work in investigations. And as I mentioned, Michael Gold, he's an attorney with uh, Jeffrey Ingalls, Butler, and Mitchell here in Los Angeles, also on my panel. One of the people in the audience, uh, a management consultant, Dennis Deitch, asked the question, well, how to help businesses really understand that they need to do something here? And we all kind of talked our way around that question. But my final response to it was that in some ways, uh, we, are, we are reaching more and more businesses today. Uh, more and more businesses are coming to understand what they need to do here. But at the same time, there are always going to be laggards in any, uh, any any kind of effort like this, and frankly, those laggards uh, are, as that statistic showed, I think, going to be out of business once they get hit. And it's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when. We are, if you will, culling the herd. And while that's cruel, sounds cruel, that's also, that's reality. Uh, we, we can't protect everybody. We can only protect those who are willing to stand up and say, hey, what do we do here? Help, you know. Uh, those who think that uh, they're protected are, are going to discover otherwise. It's uh, you know it's it is interesting and of course as you said with calling that herd I, I thought about broadcaster Jim Hurd and um and uh, so and then Jim Rome had these voices in my head but in any event um it, it seems but at the, at the national security level it's it just it's it's troubling I mean that we've gotten to the point where actually President Obama is going to bring up China's activity. Um, with, with his counterpart when they, when he comes to the Washington in next month, and uh, you know we're at this point where you know, when dealing with nation states, you know, what if someone you know, acts or reacts and to something that they think is attributable to one country that's not? And then, you know, that's how you have dangerous situations. That's how you have a, a Cuban Missile Crisis type of situation. And um, and it just it, it seems that the more this continues, you know, the likelihood that um, you know, as former Defense Secretary Gates warned that a cyber attack could be considered an act of war. And then what? Yeah, good, good, good question. Um, and it goes to that. And then what? Are the, one of the challenges that I see. Uh, is is what's called the attribution challenge. Uh, Mandiant has seems to have done a good job in 
specifically pinpointing even the building in Shanghai from which uh, a lot of, of cybercrime uh, seems to be flowing, uh, at least in the theft of intellectual property here here in America. Uh, if let's say we were you know we, we were under attack uh, by the Iranians and they were able to use servers let's say in Africa in India in Europe uh, even in our own country in South America for, as launching points to launch those attacks would we be able to attribute it to the Iranians uh, the um, North Koreans for example uh, attack us in cyberspace it make it look like it came from the Iranians so we would end up ostensibly attacking the Iranians for something that the North Koreans did this is one of those challenges that um, with the ability to anonymize uh, traffic on the internet um, it, it becomes very very difficult very very challenging uh, to, to properly attribute where an attack is coming from all the more reason why the greater cooperation we can get with the Chinese, uh, you know, with, with country. I mean, China sits in that place that they are simultaneously our friend and our adversary, if you mm -hmm. will, far yeah. better than Iran, which is just adversary, or North Korea, just adversary. How do we how do we handle this? And that does become political policy. State Department questions every bit as much, or perhaps even more so and they become technical questions, technology questions. True, and that, that's kind of how we had got the hotline um, during the nuclear age, but um, right now we're going to take a hotline to our advertisers, and we'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlaw and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Time now for another exciting episode of Pace of Analytics. Brought to you by AnalyticsSEO.com. In our last adventure, our hero was fending off his evil nemesis, Rhino the Algo. <laughs> That ruthless rhino has updated the algorithm again, and our website is falling down the rankings fast. Have no fear. Use our automated SEO tool to stay updated and to monitor your site with detailed reports. Or use our multi-site project management tool to manage all of your sites to stay on top. Take it from our fearless friend and be your own SEO hero with AnalyticsSEO.com. Aim clear. This is how you sell with social. Have you tried to do CPA conversions using social PPC and failed? <laughs> You're not alone. These days, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube require true specialists to dominate. Aim Clear, the agency, brings definitive psychographic targeting, bleeding edge creative, and killer content amplification to the social advertising table. Aim Clear. This is how you sell with social. Aim clear. This is how you sell with social. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Looking behind the news affecting Internet marketing, Bringing to light views from the voices, speaking out on the latest technical issues affecting you. 
This is the radio show that brings the internet marketing community to connect with you. Digital Marketing Matters, presented by Fang Digital, Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Listen to the debut episode on demand now, inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly. We're talking to Stan Stahl, the um, Don of cybersecurity here and uh, a great friend of the show. And Stan has just um, completed a... Um, a top-notch um, event, the ISSA LA um, Security Summit. Stan, I just um, was handed a headline of um, that Cuba is going to start offering um, cyber salons and allow you know some open access to the internet in controlled environments. And you know, we had someone on the show a while back talk about cybercrime and the marketplace for it in Russia. And um, do you ever are people concerned that you know Cuba could become a uh, kind of a just an offshore launch point for cyber attacks and cybercrime? It's a good question. I hadn't considered it. Um, I think anywhere you have people who are, let's see, how do I want to say this? That have a lot of technology training and understanding, and would like to rise up in the economic uh, up the economic ladder you run the risk uh, that the people, uh, if, if their morals and their ethics aren't up to their level of talent, may uh, seek to take that which belongs to someone else for mm-hmm. themselves. I think when you add politics into it, whether Russia, Eastern Europe, Iran, North Korea, Cuba, you add to the pressures on that. That said, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see yeah. Cuba emerge as a place like Eastern Europe where a lot of cybercrime goes on. Um, at the same time, I don't know what kind of capabilities they already have and how long it would take them kind of to invent themselves, reinvent themselves to where they could actually launch attacks. That, that, that I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it seems that, if, you know, to use an analogy, when the, the other countries that we're worried about are you know, and Formula One um, type of racing, and, and these guys still were working on their Yugos. And um, so maybe yeah. the technologically they're not really ready to uh, um, to cause havoc but, but in a way that we, we're really concerned about. Um, now, the uh, the California um, Technology Office has started a task force on cybersecurity, and um, apparently one of the first days to do so. What's your reaction to that? I'm very pleased by it. I'm looking forward to ISSALA, our association, getting involved with them because it, it's all a reflection of, of something we, we we came to discover at ISSALA uh, a few years ago that it takes the village to secure the village. That that's mm-hmm. our that's our motto, if you will, our, our creed, and that village um, certainly exists in Los Angeles. That village exists in California. You know, that village exists na- nationwide, and it's it's a it's a matter in many ways of connecting the dots. Nobody knows everything here. Nobody has a lock on. Oh, here's how you protect things. It, it truthfully does 
all of us sharing information, sharing knowledge, sharing wisdom, sharing experiences. So the fact that the state is jumping into this big way, I think only adds to this ability for all of us to help all of us do a better job of, of securing our village. And what are, you, what, what are the threats that you, you, you are worried about that you, when looking forward? The biggest threat I see out there still, for, for particularly for uh, commercial organizations, is that threat of online bank fraud. The reason I say that, let's get hacked and you've got to make a breach disclosure because personally identifiable information of other people was, 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 was leaked. Um, that's expensive. That's a couple of hundred dollars a record to pick on average, according to recent statistics. Matt, again, can talk about that. But that's $200 a record. You can insure against that. You can uh, protect yourself in, in, in ways that if it, if it happens, you, there's, I think, an easier recovery path for online bank fraud, that money's gone, it's gone. So again, unless you have cybercrime insurance, that's several hundred thousand dollars potentially that you weren't expecting to lose. So, I mean, imagine yourself like, like Village Westro in, in the South Bay in Los Angeles that had $400,000 of, of trust fund money stolen from them. That's the kind of thing that, you know, there's just Without insurance, there's no way to recover from that. That's why I'm really glad you met on later because on our side, whether it's it's ISSA as an educational association or Citadel Information Group as a you know as an information security management firm, we can do a lot to protect. But ultimately, I think you also need the, uh, the insurance piece as well. And and uh, too few businesses, too few organizations truly understand that. Now you obviously are the kind of the dean of what you do, and um, and you've seen the, uh, kind of a new generation of people come in into the profession. And is the profession keeping up in numbers, or, or do we, or are not enough people going into this field? That's really, I think, one of our also one of our biggest challenges as forward as we look long term. We are seeing more and more people coming into the field. Uh, it's it's in some ways gratifying. ISSALA, we work closely with universities like Cal Poly Pomona, USC, their uh, edu- their engineering program, UCLA Extension, Los Angeles Southwest College, and so on, helping do what we can for gener- you know educating this next generation of, of students. Um, LAUSD, uh, with all of its problems, still has one of the top-ranked uh, teams in the National Cyber Patriot Program, and that's another thing I think in LA we can be we can be quite proud of, and and we in ISSA LA are are working to help them on on their program. So you know there's there's a lot of that thrust moving forward. Uh, to to uh, get the talent we need. At the same time, you got to look at you know science scores, mathematics scores, engineering scores of U.S. students. We're not the best in the world like we were 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And given that, um, I, I think we've got we've got our work cut out for us. It's 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 not going to be easy getting this next generation of of uh, cyber professionals. That's it's definitely an alarming um, thought. The fact that you know losing that science, um, the STEM education strength, 
you know, and it plays itself out both in many different ways in terms of economic opportunity, but also here in terms of security. Mm-hmm. Yep, very, very true. It's 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 not an either or kind of thing. This is, in in some sense, uh, this is this is the future of our country economically. Uh, is is in the STEM field, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and one of the places where that does play out in ways that we just really need good qualified, good quality people is in cybersecurity. And um, but one area where there's a, a number of um, very um, highly qualified people um, will be tonight in um, in Chicago, I believe. Is it not? Well, you, you know, you, you see that, and for the benefit of our listeners, we have a, a game seven tonight in the National <laughs> Hockey League between your your city, Chicago, and my city, Detroit. Um, and oh, I'm a Kings it's fan. Not ju- well, okay, and we'll have a hopefully then a uh, a whole seven game series perhaps between the Kings and 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 the Red Wings if if the Wings can get past Chicago. But it's not just about hockey. One of the metaphors I think hockey's a good metaphor for for security because if if you look for example if it, you know the, the main organizations think about their use of technology they're thinking about their use of technology from the perspective of we got to keep the systems up and running we got to right. get information to the people who need it and so on that's kind of looking at hockey from the perspective of the forwards you know we got to score right. goals to score goals at the same time let's not forget that the only way you win hockey, particularly in the playoffs, is with good, strong, quality goal. Thing, whether Jonathan Quick or uh, right. you know, Detroit Jimmy Howard, whoever, um, it's it's that same thing. <laughs> security. We, the security people, we're the goalies on the team. And at the end of the day, it's our job to make sure that puck doesn't get in the net. That intrusion is blocked before it gets in. We're going to give goals, everybody in hockey, every goalie does, but we've got to keep out far more than we let in. And we've got to have an offense as well, only in this case the offense aren't the forward so much, but we've got to have people on the other side that when goals do come in, we're able to recover. That's disaster right. recovery, that's the insurance side, all of those other areas as well. And well, definitely, uh, I've been to a, a Kings Red Wings game and in the in the Staples Center, and it, it was a home game for Detroit, as far as I could tell. <laughs> so, uh, good, good luck to you guys in Chicago. I, I think it would be fun to have a Red Wings Kings series. And um, I just, you know, I was in um, during Game Four of the Stanley Cup Finals. I, I was actually at this um, Silicon. Um, a, a Silicon Valley. Um, event in Napa Valley and uh there was a, a whole um Silicon um wash on the Silicon Valley Washington policy divide. And uh, I went to watch game four at this place I'm staying in Napa and the local NBC affiliate decided they weren't going to carry it, you know, because why, you know, why bother? It's just the Kings. <laughs> I was so livid. Right. And, and so, you know, when we come to face off at San Jose, all I could think of is, oh, I'm sure if that was the Sharks, they would have carried it. And uh, so it was, it was kind of, I would kept thinking of that as we beat the Sharks last night. Um, you know, payback, payback is a bitch. But any of that stands. Always a pleasure having you on. 
And um, I think you, you you did a standout job on the IFSA event, and uh, I want to thank you for actually getting us involved in that as well. And I look forward to working with you further on this. But uh, good luck tonight. We'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Super. You know, Bennett, thank you. Thanks for being part of our association. Uh, you are one of the leaders on our community outreach advisory board. We absolutely are grateful for your support. The summit was a success. It was a success, though, because of all the, the volunteers that made that happen, the great speakers who gave their time so generously, our vendor sponsors who paid for the event basically so that we could open it up to all the you know nearly 800 people who came. Uh, these things don't happen through one person. It's a village to put on an event like the summit. Thanks for being of our village. Thank you. Um, so. Um in our second segment, we have a, as Stan was talking earlier, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the importance of cyber insurance and how actually it may lead us to greater security um, just because of the economics of it. Um, and as you know, Stan mentioned, um, I actually asked Howard Schmidt at the uh, ISSA LA Summit uh, uh, precisely that question. How do you create economic incentives to address cybersecurity. And so we're going to talk about that after this break. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Webmasterradio.fm has compressed thousands of podcasts and all of our radio shows into the ultimate internet marketer's knowledge base. Introducing the new WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app, absolutely free, and now available for iPhone and Android users. Listen to our live broadcasts at the push of a button, or access our complete archive of shows, past and present, like SEO 101, Affiliate Buzz, The Shoe Money Show, The Daily Searchcast, and so much more. Read through our blog for continuous industry news and programming updates and socialize with us through all of our social media channels, including Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and YouTube. Download the new WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app, a must-have for every Internet marketer on Earth. Download it now from the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store today. Ever wondered how you could have access to your own SEO expert, paid search specialist, or social media wizard? Looking for help with your affiliate, display media, or email marketing? Look no further than the folks at Fang Digital Marketing. Fang Digital specializes in both paid and organic search, social media, display, and mobile advertising solutions, and is staffed by industry veterans from Google, Yahoo, and one of the industry's most influential PPC experts. Fang Digital's award-winning staff stays on top of the latest in digital trends and offer tailored solutions so they can audit your progress and build a roadmap to your success. Learn more about their expanding range of full-service strategic marketing solutions at fangdigital.com. That's F-A-N-G, digital.com. I'm John Ball, and I'm one of the founders of Page One Power. Page One Power is a custom link building firm based in Boise, Idaho. We increase search rankings and web traffic for world-class brands and mom-and-pop shops all around the globe. Our link building strategies work because we focus on relevancy and quality, and we don't outsource anything. 
Our in-house staff of professional writers and researchers is the best in the industry. We're the link builders you've been looking for. Visit us today at pageonepower.com. My name is Jim Gray, and I am a judge of the Superior Court in California. Did you know that since the federal government first banned marijuana in 1937, that usage in this country has gone up by about 4,000%? Or that an American is arrested on marijuana charges every 38 seconds? If you are wondering if any of this makes sense, you are not alone. To find out more, contact the Marijuana Policy Project at 1-877-JOIN-MPP or visit them on the web at mpp.org. Welcome to the home of the latest search marketing news and views of the world. Welcome to the state of search. Search marketers from around the world discuss the latest headlines and issues in search engine marketing, social media, and more. State of Search, on demand anytime inside the International Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly. You're listening to the Cyber Law and Business Report on Webmaster Radio. And um, we're continuing our show on the state of cybersecurity. Um, we have with us Matt Carlson. And he has worked for regional, national, and global retail insurance brokerage firms in his 17 years in the industry. Um, he's assisted a wide variety of clients from small family-owned businesses to multinational companies on their insurance and risk management needs. Uh, having a knack for understanding technology and the exposures of technology creates, um, Matt is focused on helping um, his clients um, in cyber insurance. And Matt works out of the Los Angeles office of Risk Strategies Company. And Matt, it's great to have you on the show. And I actually know Matt through uh, a network of um, startup um, advisors. So, Matt, um, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me, Bennett. Appreciate thank, it. Thank you. We've had a number of discussions um, over beers about um, of this issue, so I mean, it's a little different in the morning. Um, <laughs> but um, it, it's a really important issue, and, and you've shown me some, some data and some charts and stuff on, um, on how insurance really does play a role in, in safeguarding for cyber, against cyber attacks. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, it, it kind of takes two things to really grasp the the cyber liability. Uh, one is having a tech savvy insurance broker, because at the real at the end of the day, if the broker doesn't understand what the business is, whether it's you know the retail business in the process of collecting credit cards, uh, to you know highly technical you know, technical tech companies that do some type of collecting of data, um, that's that's a very important component to have a broker that understands that. The other component is going to things uh, like the ISSA conference and really rubbing shoulders with guys like Stan who are just knee-deep into security, and it really kind of gives you some some real-life examples to bring back to the office to give examples to your clients of what's really going on with cybersecurity today. Now, you know, it, it seems like the insurance industry has a huge role to play because at the end of the day, you know, as dollars are going to start being paid out, um, you'll be the ones paying it. And, uh, yeah. you know, if, if you're writing the check, you usually get a say with it. And, uh, and so is 
has there been somewhat of a shift, I think, in terms of the mindset of the insurance industry on, you know, how how serious this issue is? Yeah, you know what? I it's I can tell you probably five plus years ago there's less than ten carriers and companies out there that were writing uh cyber liability. Uh fast forward to today and we have pretty much twenty plus carriers that are willing to to write the exposure. As time has progressed, I think the carriers are having a better understanding of what the exposure is, um, and that's kind of reflecting in the applications that my clients have to fill out regarding what security measures are in place, because I think what's happening is that claims are happening and the claims are settling, figuring out out exactly what triggered those claims, and then that ends up in the question on, let's say, a future revision of a carrier's application for cyber liability. So it, it's definitely morphing and changing just as cybersecurity is changing. Um, and we know that there's no perfect bullet out there that's going to uh, make everything go away. Um, it, it's changing all the time. So at some point, carriers are going to have to be, they're on the hook uh, to pay out a claim if there's something related to uh, cyber liability that ends happening at a at a client's uh, business. And um, you know, I don't know if you were there when, when I asked the question, but when I talked to Howard Schmidt, you know, he stressed the role of cyber insurance, noting that um, you, know, you can go to the board and, and get um, get them to sign off on greater efforts to secure your cyber risks um, because you'll actually end up saving significantly on cyber insurance. And, yeah, um, no, that, that's, that's definitely true. I mean, and that's really what comes down to these applications. Uh, if you don't have a cybersecurity firm that's um, plugging all holes, you're going to go through this application and basically slow no on on a lot of the questions they have relating to security. Uh, there's only so much an uh, in-house or outsourced IT person can do, and, and that's where it's really important to check mark the the various different uh, risk management protocols relating to cybersecurity, and, and really selecting that yes you are and doing all these things. And it comes down to a carrier either offering. Uh, coverage or a quote or not offering coverage based on or a quote based on how the application is completed. And if you uh, usually do get some type of uh, discount, let's call it, with a company that does have all the measures in place. So what, what in, let's start with the basics. What is cyber insurance or cyber liability insurance? What, what type of coverages are available? Well, it, it's really, you know, the broad word is cyber liability, but within cyber liability, there's almost a cafeteria style of uh, individual coverages that relate uh, to what the actual exposure is. So within cyber liability, you have uh, privacy liability. That's in the sense that you're collecting personal information, uh, account numbers, addresses, social security numbers, medical information. Uh, there's a component in there that uh, will provide uh, some type of pay payout with a claim related to that. Um, there's also a, with another component that's called the data breach fund, which pays for, uh, if there is a breach, it pays for 
credit monitoring, involving a public relations firm, uh, setting up a call center, paying for insurance, uh, basically credit monitoring uh, services. Uh, and then another component within cyber liability is network liability. So that could be things like unauthorized access to systems, uh, denial of service, service attacks, or you know, transmission of, uh, of viruses to, let's say, a client or something of that nature. Uh, and, and then you have uh, inter internet media liability, and that would cover things relating to infringement of trademark or, uh, or, or anything of that copyright, things of that nature. You know, a good example is any, any site that allows people to upload stuff, whether it's a video or images, and if the site doesn't have necessarily any control over what's being uploaded, you'll, you could have some violation within that realm. Uh, so really... You know, there's there's all those things that I named, and some of them may apply depending on what the, the actual business is. Uh, that's really where it's more of a cafeteria style, where if you're not collecting any type of private information like credit card, medical information, then you really don't need privacy liability. But you may need one of the other things, whether it's the internet media or the network liability or the data breach potentially. So. Now, one thing that it seems to came up um, before is the is the cost. I mean, obviously that's an important item, and um, in terms of how to um, how to price it and whether or not to what extent it it makes a business sense for business to purchase it. And you know, the problem with insurance is it's based on lost histories, and so when there weren't sufficient histories, the, the industry, by and large, was pricing it. At, at, you know, as as high as they could to an extent, just because they didn't know what the histories would bear out, and so yeah. you're starting to get um, actual histories. And so, um, you know, is are, is there much of a shift in price as this this um, these policies mature? Well, yeah, there definitely has been a shift in pricing. Uh, I, I think probably more it, as time has progressed. I say it's becoming more affordable. Uh, when there was only a handful of players uh, of carriers out there willing to offer coverage, the pricing was definitely more expensive. Now that we have so many people competing to get that uh, that share of the market and that business, uh, you're starting to see that pricing is going down. There really are three components uh, from an underwriter's standpoint of where they come up with the pricing. One is the industry. Uh, Two is also the type of information that they collect, uh, and then also what type of. Uh, let me back up. One of the other things is sales, the amount of sales that they have or revenue generated, and then they'll get just uh, overall uh, what the security measures are that are in place, and those are really the components of determining what pricing is going to be. But I'd say for small business, it, it, cyber insurance could start at probably a thousand to fifteen hundred plus. Uh, if you look at something like a uh, multiple location hospital with medical records, you know that that can definitely be uh, a uh, potentially a six-figure type premium uh, if it's really really sensitive data. Now, um, one thing that you see, for example, in some industries is um, the insurance industry stepping in and saying, okay, here's what we'd like to see um, in order to bring premiums down within the industry. They actually get kind of become 
almost part of a self-regulatory structure where they say, okay, we consider these to be prudent practices in, in handling this type of, you know, data or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, has, has the insurance industry actually been pushing um, the technology industry at all in terms of what it considers to be reasonable and prudent steps to um, mitigate against cyber attacks? That, or to respond yeah. once they happen. Yeah, I, I always say look at the application you're filling out. You know, those are the items, those are the questions that they want you to answer yes. So if you're answering no on any of the questions in a in a cyber liability application that a carrier has, then that's something that you need to consider looking into. That that's really the guideline for what they want to see, what the carriers want to see in place. So um, has has that become more exacting? You think, in, as as this industry has matured, are we, are we seeing an expectation on the at least insurers to, to do um, that? Their policyholders do more. Um, you know what? I, I definitely think that uh, with the fact that we're seeing a lot more of these breaches in in the media, whether it's uh, you know Living Social or Evernote, I I, I think they're the decision makers at the companies uh, that are trying to protect the data, they're, they're a little bit more conscious of what's going on. And they're, you know, I, I think they realize that these are steps that they need to take. And, and the fact that they're getting uh, an option for, for cyber liability is kind of that first step of, of deciding that, hey, we really need something. Because, you know, cyber liability is really really interesting. If you look at the property casualty world, if you have a building that you're insuring, then a fire happens, you see the the, the building burned down. With general liability, if someone slips and falls at your office, you see them slip and fall. With cyber liability, it's kind of the elephant in the room. You really don't see things necessarily happening. A lot of things are happening in the background they don't even know. So it's it's really difficult to get a business owner to decide whether or not it's something that's even important to them because often I get a lot of my clients say, oh, well, that's you know in the cloud or we have a third-party company that does that or we have a credit card processing company that handles all of it. We don't handle all of it. You know, my first question to them is, okay, do you have a contract with them? And if they say yes, and I say, let's pull out the contract. And we look at the contract. A lot of times the contract says that they're going to do the best that they can, but that at the end of the day, they're not responsible for anything. And, and that's where I think there's this assumption that, that hey, someone else is doing it, they're responsible for it. Right. And, and really, that's not the case. And, and I think uh, that's where, for whatever reason, they're just overlooking that big <laughs> factor. And you know, um, are you seeing more attempts to go after um, directors for in, being inattentive on cybersecurity? I I I have not, but I can tell you it has been. Um, it, as far as I've seen, kind of surveys online regarding attempting to get their the thoughts of, of directors. And it definitely is one of those kind of growing concerns for them is that realm of, of cyber liability and the fact that they should probably get it. Right. And um, 
it's basically you see some of the data. I mean, you know, the number of companies that go out of business because of a cyber breach. You know, the potential, oh, sure. you know, the potential for a class action because of a cyber breach. Um, you know, it's just astounding what what that could do. And so, um, I guess the final rule that comes in is SEC. Um, obviously, you know, having insurance is important, and uh, and so you can you can have savings achieved um, be, through um, insurance, um, but it it's actually getting the information out to the marketplace that this is these things are happening, and um, which is kind of tied to insurance, I think. But you know, the SEC requiring companies to disclose material breaches. Um, mm-hmm. And then you know, I think once a company starts experiencing a drop in its stock because of it, then I think yep. you know, there'll be even more incentive to purchase um, insurance and take steps to prevent it. People will now see the market res- response. Yeah, and and what I kind of as you remember the last time we saw each other, I, I got the the iPad Mini and yeah, showed you one of yeah, and showed you uh, the. It's it's actually an application called the AIG Cyber Edge. Uh, anyone with a iPad, I would definitely recommend um, downloading that. And, and it gives you it has two really valuable pieces within that application. One is the the mapping of the data breaching across the country, so you literally can see these pins that will indicate the company and exactly what the breach was. That that alone is very interesting. Uh, the second item that I really like within that application is called the data breach calculator, where you can pretty much go through and run through a scenario of, of putting certain parameters in. So we lost 100 uh, records. They were Social Security records. Uh, you can indicate whether it's a recognizable brand name, so is it um, you know, a small company or a big company, and then the likelihood of someone doing something with that data and doing fraudulent activity. And it will literally put together what the total cost of a breach within those parameters would cost you. So that, that tool alone I think is great for a, a broker like myself trying to educate my clients on really what's happening right now. And, and let's, let's go ahead and take some information. Okay, wh- what is the situation that would happen with you? And they can tell me, and I can put it in there, and I can say the total cost would be $56,000 if you had that type of claim. The, the quote I have from AIG is $1,000 for the year. Is it worth it to you? And, and that's where they need to decide it is or it is not. Right. And obviously, you know, $56,000, does that include, uh, you know, the impact on your vacation and, and all these other aspects that come with it? Yeah, and, yeah um, I mean, it, it breaks it down. I'll show you the, the, uh, the actual notification letter that has to get sent out, uh, the monitoring, the call center, the PR firm, the legal uh, guidance that you need to get. So it's all thrown in there. So, well, th- this just kind of a, a teaser, really, for, I guess, a more detailed analysis of this topic, but I want to thank you for joining us. Um, we've only got a few minutes left. But, um, if people want to find out more information, what's the best way for them to contact you, Matt? Uh, best way is uh, to go on our website. It's risk, R-I-S-K-strategies.com. Um, I'm out of the L.A. office, and my email address is mcarlson, C-A-R-L-S-O-N, at risk-strategies.com. 
Well, thank you very much, Matt. I want to thank you for joining us. I hope you consider joining us again. Um, it's been a pleasure thank having you. you. And people, definitely check out the AIG app. It's, it's easily downloadable. And, um, you know, and definitely you need to have someone like Matt in your Rolodex for stuff like this. Um, a couple of quick shout-outs. Um, first to um, Mayor-elect Eric Garcetti, um, the future mayor of Los Angeles. Congratulations on winning um, the, um, the mayoral election here in Los Angeles. And uh, I've known Eric for about a decade, and he's been a very strong supporter of this growing Silicon Beach uh, movement here. And um, so congratulations to Eric. Also, shout out to um, Carl Kronberg and Derek Newman on a great job in running the um, Internet um, Law Leadership Summit. And uh, we had a great time getting all the Internet lawyers together in Las Vegas last week. And I want to thank you for your work there. And also thanks to Charles Mudd, who is also part of the coordinating committee. And... Um, so that's about all the time we have. Um, I want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, this is a very important issue. It's going to affect just your business, but it's also going to affect you know, the state of the nation. And um, when we have defense systems, dams, energy systems, you know, this could be uh, potentially devastating. You know, that could be the next great terrorist attack. It could be a cyber attack. So um, I want to thank you all for joining us. Um, this is Bennett Kelly. You're listening to CyberLaw and Business Report. Quarters adjourned. See you next week. Go Kings. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.